0: I basically spent a few months breaking down the different learning modules from start to finish. I walk through how to evaluate markets, how to evaluate properties, break down the numbers. I provide my custom investment analysis templates for both arbitrage and buy and hold. I walk through the buying process, how to build your team, work with lenders, realtors.
1: Are you ready to change your life? Welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies Podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments. Your host, Linda Brooks, is a dynamic multifamily investor syndicator with a portfolio valued at over $20 million and growing. Join her on her journey as she shows you it's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing, and she'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. And now, here is your host, Linda Brooks.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast. I'm Linda Brooks, your host, and I'm so glad you've tuned in today. I also want to thank and commend you for making the all-important decision to learn more about how to become an educated passive investor in the commercial real estate market. Well, today we have a little bit of a different topic to discuss as we consider investment opportunities and in asset classes. And we have a very, very special guest with us. We have Mr. Michael Elfonte. He's a 28-year-old real estate investor and content creator who focuses on short-term vacation rentals. And he currently has four short-term rentals and one long-term rental that cash flow around 30000 per month on average, which means that he and I will be speaking in depth to find out. How I can get 30,000 per
0: month. As well. <laughs>
2: welcome, welcome, Michael. It's so good to have you.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation. It's going to be fun.
2: Likewise. So tell us a little bit about you, your background, and then, of course, how you got into the short term rental asset class.
0: Yeah, so I was a former athlete. I played baseball uh, through college and I was hoping to play professionally. Didn't quite pan out, had some injuries and Maybe it just wasn't meant to be, but went into the workforce, took a job in Dallas, Texas, not really knowing what I wanted to do. I studied kind of business and finance in school, which I don't know. I was kind of just like, well, that's the route I'm supposed to go, right? So I got into a sales role, very bottom of the food chain, cold calling 70 to 100 people a day, not even really knowing what I'm selling. And I just remember coming, driving home from work. I'm like, this can't be it. There's got to be a better way so I can spend my time how I want. So I came across the term financial freedom and I was just hungry to learn more. So I started diving into books, a ton of YouTube content. Fast forward a few years later, my wife and I were finally side hustled a bunch, worked hard, changed jobs several times to save up enough money to get started in real estate. And we learned about short-term rentals because what appealed me most to short-term rentals was... The cash flow potential, one, and two, having properties placed wherever you want that you could also use as your own vacation house. So I thought that was really neat. So that's just kind of the background, how we stumbled upon it. We first got started investing in Nashville, which is a pretty hot tourist destination, and then really never looked back. We we're like, this is awesome. We love it. And we love the day to day. So that's how we got to where we are today. And we officially quit our jobs in. April of 2021, and we've been traveling full-time for the past four and a half months. So it's been quite an experience.
2: How long were you investing in the short-term rentals before you got to a point where you leave your full-time positions?
0: So the initial goal, and this is really this is crazy. I'm still looking back at this, but the initial goal was to become financially free in like five to 10 years. We became financially free less than 12 months after our first investment we had acquired three properties during that time frame, And then we could have quit our jobs then but waited an additional around four months or so to acquire one more big one, which is that was the first one we actually partnered with somebody on to a big renovation. And that one's a, a cash cow, which has been awesome. So since then, we felt really comfortable leaving both leaving our jobs.
2: Nice. And I know you've said you invest in Nashville and the Smokies, but how many properties do you have in Nashville versus the Smokies versus Gatlinburg?
0: Yeah, we have two short-term rentals in Nashville. And then since we left Nashville, we rented out the house that we lived in as a 12-monthly experience so just a long-term rental. And then we have two in Gatlinburg, two short-term rentals.
2: Very nice. So someone interested in getting into short-term rentals, right? what do you recommend that they do before they get started? I know you talked a lot about reading and podcasts and education, but what else do should they know?
0: So I think the biggest prohibitor for me was thinking, one, I needed to know everything, all the nuances with short-term rentals, how to break down the numbers and everything along those lines. So that prevented me for a while, I mean, almost creating this paralysis by analysis phase that my wife for probably over two years um, and then the second part, which you know now is what I preach to people who reach out to me and ask questions, is you don't need boatloads of money to get started in short-term rentals. There's tons of ways to get creative in real estate, but short-term rentals are really special because there's really, I always say, start with your budget and then pick a strategy because there's ways you can start with no money, doing something called co-hosting where you can manage somebody else's property for them and basically get, act as the property manager and get a percent of the revenue that it brings in. There's another really special tactic called the rental arbitrage or Airbnb arbitrage, where you can talk with landlords and sign a corporate lease agreement, basically just pay for furniture for even a one-bedroom or larger apartment, condo, or single-family home, and then sublet it out on Airbnb. And then obviously, buy and hold, which is what I got into initially. So um, looking back on it, I think it's just you don't have to know everything, and you certainly don't need you know buckets of money to get started.
2: Got it. From a risk perspective, is any one of those short term rental models that you just talked about, in your opinion, are either of those more risky than the other?
0: You know, I think like any investment, it's certainly a calculated investment. I'm very big on doing investment analysis. I think the margin for error is greater with short term rentals than it is long term, just because um, you're essentially operating as a, a micro hotel and people are willing to pay more per night than they would ordinarily, you know, per month on a lease agreement. So my minimum cash-on-cash return metric is actually 25%, especially when self managing We've seen numbers even far higher exceeding that, I should say. You can limit your risk a little bit by doing rental arbitrage because you don't own the asset, but then there's also cons to that because you can't control the asset and you don't get equity for principal paydown and appreciation. And then certainly with co-hosting, you nearly eliminate your risk as far as owning the asset during any potential economic downturns because you're just trading your time at that point.
2: Got it. Okay. Do you offer investment options for the passive investor in your short-term rental investments?
0: Not so much. I've been asked that a lot. It's something I'm considering in the future, creating some sort of syndicate style, perhaps, that a lot of large multifamily investors create for other investors. So it's something I would certainly consider, but it's not something that I'm currently offering today. What I really focus on is trying to help other investors or help new potential investors get educated around the basics of short-term rentals, really learn the ins and outs of it so they can feel very confident successfully investing in properties of their own. And how do you do that? So I created a course. I have a couple of different things. I created a course that I host on a platform called Teachable. And I basically spent a few months breaking down the different learning modules from start to finish. So if you're a complete novice, like you could still take this course and feel very confident by the end. But i walk through how to evaluate markets, how to evaluate properties, break down the numbers. I provide my custom investment analysis templates for both arbitrage and buy and hold and walk through the buying process, how to build your team, work with lenders, realtors. And then the back half of it is how to stand up your short-term rental because you have to furnish it too, which is different than most long-term rentals, right? That are typically rented out empty and the tenant uh, furnishes it. So how do we furnish that? And then for me, I teach people how to stand out on Airbnb. I think that's the biggest mistake people make. They just go bare bones on the furniture, and there's no wow factor within that property to get. It's all about click rate. It's no different than Instagram or TikTok. You know, it's about attention, like holding someone's attention and saying, "I could see myself having a, like an amazing time here with my friends or family." And then how to automate the process. So if you're going to self-manage, it can be. It's definitely not quite as passive. It's definitely more active than traditional long-term rentals. So how to leverage technology, software applications to automate 80 to 90% of the day-to-day management so where you can you don't have to trade as much time. But also at the same time, you don't have to pay a property manager 20 to upwards of 40% of top-line revenue.
2: And is that high because it's a short-term rental?
0: Yeah, I think it's higher, especially traditionally when you had somebody that had to sit in an office and hand out keys to guests. Since then, it's come down a little bit. But still, it's definitely more active management, actively talking with people renting the properties and dealing with issues that bubble up probably more, more often than your traditional tenant. would.
2: Okay. It sounds very interesting. How do you select your markets in your course? Do you offer like a market selection component to it?
0: Yeah. So I actually, I don't really offer specific markets, but what I do do is teach people how to evaluate markets. So for me, it's all about tourism, consistent tourism, and year-over-year growth in tourism. So just honestly doing a lot of Google searching websites and compile data, the larger markets are easier to break that down. But beyond that, AirDNA is a wonderful site. It's a data website that has data on markets across the entire world. That's a direct data pull from sites such as Airbnb and VRBO. And you can actually filter through that data and look at the trailing 12 to I think 36 months or maybe longer of occupancy per month. So, occupancy being how often, uh, what percent of the days per year or per month are booked, Airbnb or VRBO. And then also average daily rates, revenue. You can actually look on a map and see all the different properties on those platforms, hover over them, see what they're bringing in, click on them, look at their photos. So, it's an awesome platform that. It really helps me during the investment analysis kind of have a baseline forecast because the toughest thing to predict is an accurate average daily rate and occupancy rate, which ultimately gives you your revenue. So being as accurate as you can with that for me almost de-risks the investment in my mind or because you have some comfort on doing a most likely value on the forecast even looking at like a worst case scenario am I still cash flow positive right? So that's what I teach and and I, it's been really, really beneficial to those that I've worked with I think
2: okay. Good deal. So, my experience has been primarily in underwriting multifamily deals, right? And so, it sounds like underwriting a short term rental has a different model than underwriting a traditional multifamily. It's probably easier to show than to describe, but can you high level kind of describe what the differences are? You mentioned cash on cash returns, so it sounds like you look at some of the same metrics. But the benchmarks, the targets sound like they're significantly different.
0: Sure. So that's another, I'm glad you brought that up. That's another really cool key component of short-term rentals is, as I mentioned before, you can use these places as your own personal vacation houses if you want. There is one loan option that you could take advantage of one or more times depending on the different markets you invest in. There's some rules that apply, but that'd be a secondary home loan. So lenders or loan officers will view this as your own personal vacation house. So you do need to qualify and be able to service the debt based on, you know, same thing you would normally qualify for your primary residence. So they'll look at your income, DTI, credit score, bank statements, all those things, because you need to be able to service that ongoing basis. But the coolest thing about this is you only have to put down 10%. So this makes your cash on cash return significantly higher, less money out of pocket. It may open up some wiggle room as far as furnishing the place as well. Another option is doing the same thing, conventional loan route, but doing an investment loan. There are some lenders that will do a 10% down investment loan, even a jumbo loan, which is, I've just realized this recently, but most lenders will require a minimum of 15%, some 20%. Beyond that though, so once you max out your capability of qualifying for a conventional loan, you can go the commercial loan route, which is, you know, what I imagine. I haven't done any multifamily, but I imagine it's very similar process there. So they're going to base the loan on the asset and the asset's ability to service that debt.
2: Yes, you mentioned a 10 or 15% down payment. Does that require PMI in that loan or no?
0: Yes, yeah, you're more than likely. And in some cases, some lenders might have programs where they don't have PMI, but in my experience, anything less than twenty percent, most lenders will require PMI. But so, what's cool about that is you can factor the PMI and different interest rates in to the an investment analysis tool, whether it's mine or somebody else's, and you can compare not just properties against one another, but you can compare different loan options too and the costs associated with those loans, and see how it affects your cash and cash return. So. I'm not a huge fan of being extremely over leveraged, but with interest rates, and especially with conventional is locking them into a 15 or 30 year fixed rate period. If you can lock in a low interest rate, I'm willing to pay the extra $1 to $300 a month of PMI if my cash to cash return is going to be an additional 10% higher because I could use that extra capital I save and reinvest it somewhere else.
2: Makes sense. And for listeners that are not sure what PMI is, that's primary mortgage insurance, which is an additional insurance required if your loan to value is less than 80%. Okay, so how can our listeners get in touch with you? Because I'm sure they'll have as many questions as I (laughs) do, if not more.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love uh, interacting with people on Instagram. I try to respond to as many people as possible that send me a direct message, especially if it's a specific question or comment. Yeah, I mean, I'm on most social platforms, pretty much everything but Twitter under M 6. You can find me on TikTok, uh, Instagram, YouTube, and any other resources that I provide, some free, some not free, are all located in my bio link. So if you guys are looking to get involved and just want that extra bit of help and someone who has some experience there, I'd love to be that, uh, I guess, the guiding light for you.
2: Excellent. And all of Michael's information will be on our website as well as in the show notes. Now, Michael, what's your favorite book that to help you get to where you are?
0: There's so many great books out there. I think I usually mention the book Cashflow Quadrant, which is by Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Foundation. The reason I mention that book, it's not even necessarily primarily real estate related. It was more of a mindset shift for me and shifting from the side of the quadrant for those that are not familiar, either being employed or self-employed or have a specialty job Uh, where you're trading an absorbent amount of hours for usually a set income per year Uh, on the right side you have business owners and investors so trading my time for money and thinking about it in the terms of risk a lot of things in that book he talks about it's too risky to invest right i hear that a lot from people but isn't it risky to invest and i always thought that too until i realized i think it's riskier to not invest because I know exactly what I'm going to get if I don't invest. I'm probably going to work until I'm 65 doing something I may or may not like. So that was the turning point for me. And I was like, we're all in. That was a pretty fun book. There's lots of other good nuggets in there, but that's one of many books that I've enjoyed.
2: Excellent. So listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, I want you to be the first two people to contact me on the website, multifamilyinvestorladies.com. And I'll send you a copy of Michael's favorite book, Cash Flow Quadrant so that you too can experience a mind shift and make your way over to financial independence. Michael, thank you. Any final words, final advice, words of wisdom you'd like to share before we close out?
0: No, I think just take action. Like I said, I think I waited too long to take action. One, it's never too late to take action, but there's no better time than now. You know, you don't have to know everything to get started. So I think you'll learn as you go, but you'll never regret taking action sooner rather than later.
2: You are 28. Okay. Did not wait too late to take action.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Like I said, I, I think it's never too late to take action. I don't know. I guess everybody's looking back. It's just like, you know, knowing what I know now, I'm like, I should have just started sooner. But I, everyone's gonna say that, you know. So I don't know. I just always like to tell people just just jump in. If you have any interest, don't don't wait because I don't know if you've ever heard of the regret minimalization framework by Jeff. I think Jeff Bezos kind of made that famous. Basically. They ask him, you know, how do you like deal with risk, or or how do you make decisions for Amazon and like grow this behemoth company from scratch? And he said, uh, regret minimalization framework. So thinking ten to twenty or thirty years down the road, would I regret not taking this risk, or would I regret, you know, making or not making this decision? So he's thinking twenty years ahead, and it kind of makes the decision less big today, right? So I kind of thought that was pretty neat.
2: Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for your time, Michael. And we'll close out with Michael's final words. Go ahead and take action. Thank you all for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating on your favorite listening platform. And if you like what you hear, find it helpful, and want to learn more, go ahead and hit subscribe. To learn more about investment opportunities and join the Multifamily Investor Ladies community, visit us on our website at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. And remember, It's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing with the Multifamily Investor Ladies. Thanks a mill for listening.
1: For more information about today's episode, learn more about passive multifamily real estate investing or to reach Linda directly. Visit us on the web at MultifamilyInvestorLadies.com. Thanks a mill for joining the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments. Your host, Linda Brooks, reminds you it's never too late to get started on your multifamily real estate investment journey, and she'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. We'll see you next time.